The trial was drawing to a close. Both sides had made their closing arguments, and now the decision would fall into the hands of the, the jury and the judge to determine if the man who was being accused of murder was actually guilty. As one might expect, the family of the victim was there and was hoping that justice would prevail, that the truth would come out. A husband had become suspicious. His wife had been spending longer and longer hours late into the evening at the office over the last couple of weeks and months. On more than one occasion, she had, he had walked in on her awkwardly texting and then she gave some frazzled response to try and explain who was on the other, the other end. It had been quite some time since the two of them had spent any time together. He had a suspicion that she was cheating on him. And he was just to the point where he felt he needed to confront her, he needed to find out the truth. Now let's suppose that the truth comes out. In both of those examples, the jury has made their decision, the judge declared what the jury had found to be true, that the man who was convicted of murder was in fact guilty, the truth came out. The husband confronted his wife and the truth came out. She was, in fact, having an affair. But what difference does that truth make in either of those scenarios? Sure, there is a certain peace of mind, that uneasiness, that, that gut feeling that, that just wonders, that, that needs to know, that, that lingering uncertainty is finally put to rest just in knowing what the truth was. Sadly, though, that truth isn't going to bring the victim alive and back to the family. Sadly, though, knowing that truth for the husband doesn't make it any easier to reestablish and restore the trust that had been broken through unfaithfulness in that marriage. Now, why do I, I bring that point up? Not just because I, I want to be Mr. Negativity or or the pessimistic pastor, but to convey that these words of Jesus on which we focus this morning uh, that are so often snatched out of context and lazily applied to anybody seeking any sort of truth simply doesn't fit. You heard the words in the gospel, hear them again that Jesus spoke. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But, dear friends, not just any truth sets anybody free. Not just any truth is going to change anything for that, that family who lost their loved one or for the husband whose marriage is now trying to put it back together and pick up the pieces. They know the truth, but I don't know that if you asked any of the family members or the husband if the way that they would describe how they're feeling after knowing the truth is, boy, I just feel totally free. Because not just any old truth can really offer any freedom. But there is a truth that does. And that truth was discovered 500 years ago by a German monk of all people. 
a truth that, that had such an impact that it not only radically changed the trajectory of his own life, but even the church of his day that had lost its way. A truth that compelled him, that, that drove him to hammer 95 theses onto the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, because he was so intent on making sure that that truth was discovered for others as well. And that he was so intent on willing to debate and defend that truth, even if it meant his death. And if you question how courageous, how bold it was for somebody like Martin Luther to stand up against the church, then look only at history, which records up for us the, the embers and the ashes of those who had gone before Luther who were burned at the stake for having the audacity to stand up to the church. There is a truth that really does offer freedom. And we are grateful that, that the Lord used Martin Luther to restore that freedom to the church. But who exactly is this freedom? Who is it for? Well, as you heard in the gospel, the individuals, the, the Jewish people who had believed Jesus up to that point, didn't suppose that Jesus' words applied to them. That he surely must have been talking to somebody else because you hear their response in verse 33. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Their pride had attached them so much to their ancestry to know that they were, they were the offspring of, of Abraham. How dare Jesus accuse them of, of being enslaved or, or slaves by anyone? They knew who they were. They were God's chosen, precious people, set apart from all other nations in the world. And here Jesus was saying that, that he came to offer freedom for slaves. Well, must have been somebody else because surely he couldn't be talking about them. So Jesus explained for them as he went on. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus made it clear he was not talking about some temporal, earthly slavery. Not some chains that he came to break off from oppression. Not a freedom from some earthly taskmaster or, or slave master, but rather a spiritual freedom from slavery to sin. Do you think Jesus was speaking a little too bluntly that he was overstating his case to say that everybody who sins is a slave to sin? Isn't that saying quite a bit? A slave that, that we have no control over it? Is Jesus using hyperbole as he often did in his teaching an extreme case to exaggerate his point to emphasize it? No. Hardly. Jesus is actually demonstrating how well he knows sin because that is exactly how sin demands to operate. Sin is not here to play the role of servant. Sin is not okay with being in that role, but wants to, to take over control, wants to be in charge, wants to be the slave master. Sin is not okay for you to just kind of just tinker and dabble in this sin or that sin and then respectfully allow you to go on your way when you feel you've had enough. Sin is like that invasive plant species that if it is unchecked, 
that if it goes unremoved, it will spread and it will overtake anything in its path. But you know that from your own experience with sin. You know from experience that when sin stakes a hold of your heart, it isn't content just to to have a little piece of your heart, but wants to spread, wants to increase its kingdom in your heart. And so that little, that little chip on your shoulder doesn't just stay a chip on your shoulder if unchecked. It becomes full-blown bitterness and resentment. A harmless glance here, a lustful look there, as that is unchecked, explodes into full-blown addiction. Maybe what started as a plight discussion politically or otherwise in person or online becomes a heated battle where the goal is no longer just to be right but to put my opponent in his or her place to shame them to make them look foolish a few dollars here a few dollars there i'll pay them back i have good intentions instead becomes a few more dollars and rather than figuring out how to pay it back it then suddenly becomes how do i cover it up so that it's not discovered you know how sin operates and you know how true the words jesus speaks are all who sin are slaves to sin otherwise think about it we would just stop sinning when we see the destruction and the damage that it brings in our own lives in our own relationships we would just simply stop if we were not enslaved to it but we cannot because we are helpless because we are truly enslaved by sin people in martin luther's day knew that they felt it and as you might expect They thought they knew where to turn, to turn to the church. And the church did offer solutions. It did offer options for a price. So if you had enough money, you could buy a slip of paper called an indulgence that declared right there in writing with your name on it that your sins were forgiven for a time, provided you met the other conditions. And of course, there were, there were holy relics, there were sacred sites that could be viewed, that could be visited for a price that might contribute to your forgiveness or the hope of salvation. And one can only imagine how thirsty, how starved God's people were in this day and age when the only message they heard from pulpit, from preacher, was hell and condemnation and the threat of punishment separating God from God forever. How appealing this must have looked to to want to empty their pockets and do anything and everything they could to buy assurance, to buy freedom from sin. But today we still are able to celebrate the significance of the Reformation because through it we rejoice in those who have made tremendous sacrifices who have gone before us so that true freedom would not be lost and have gone so far as to, again, give their lives in sacrifice to this truth and then to capture that gospel freedom that is ours in the Lutheran confessions so that it continues to be articulated and passed on from one generation to the next so that it would never be clouded or hidden away where and where only true freedom comes. It comes only 
in Jesus. Always has, does right now, and always will be found only in Jesus Christ. But don't take that to mean that we don't need this. See, if you think that if I have freedom in Jesus, then I don't need the church Realize what you're saying. Jesus has, has connected himself to his church. Jesus says he is the head, the church, you and me, all believers, not some institution, not the Vatican, not some other local congregation, but the church made up of believers everywhere. Jesus has attached himself to us. So if we think that, that we can divorce or cut ourselves off from the body of Christ, we are severing ourselves from Jesus himself. And, and many think that that is where True freedom is found this day outside the walls of some religious institution or the practice of faith. That it's a personal thing between Jesus and me and I don't need the church. I don't need this. When we can separate ourselves from doctrine and dogma, that's when you are truly free. A passenger aboard a ship in the middle of the ocean made an observation. He saw a number of caged birds that were brought up onto the deck, and one of those cages, the latch had come undone, and the bird escaped. It was free. No longer imprisoned in that, that little bird cage. You can imagine how excited that bird must have been to explore its newfound freedom, to stretch its wings, to fly, and so it escaped the ship and made its way in search of this newfound freedom. Peculiarly, only hours later, that same passenger observed that the bird had returned. Exhausted from its flight, not finding anywhere to land in the middle of the ocean, no food to eat, that bird had returned to the very thing that thought it was imprisoned by, its cage and the ship that held its cage. Turns out what he thought was freedom was not really freedom at all. And so we hope it is and and pray that it is the same result for those who think that by escaping some religious institution or avoiding the body of Christ, that they truly find freedom. Whether it's because this was forced on them as children or they had some past negative experience in church, the answer, the solution, is not to cut ourselves off from the body of Christ, of which he is the head, as is popular in our day and age. Maybe you've heard a, a phrase that I come across more and more, this concept of, of deconstructing faith. Christians that were, were maybe prominent Christians in, uh, that, that were heads of contemporary Christian bands or, or even pastors are, are talking about this newfound freedom that comes in deconstructing their faith. Now that might be a, a different term, but it's the same old thing. It's treating God's Word like a buffet table to be able to say, this is the part I like and will retain. This I don't need anymore. But Jesus does not permit that. You notice how Jesus talked about truth and freedom and the source of that truth and freedom. You go back to the very first thing that he said in our chapter 8 here from John to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not your teaching, not my teaching, not somebody else's idea or teaching, but Jesus said, hold to 
my teaching. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the Reformation restored to us the truth that this alone is the source of Jesus' teaching. His word. And his word alone, which is where Jesus speaks to us, is where he assures us of truth and freedom. Where do we find that? We find that right here, where God's people gather around word and sacrament. Where God's people gather to be assured of that freedom each and every week. We gather with God's people around word and sacrament because not guilt, but grace rules the day because of who Jesus is and because of what he accomplished on our behalf by his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. We gather not to be judged by one another, but to hear the assurance of justification, which is that God declares that we are not guilty through what Jesus has done. And we hear that assurance as we confess our sins at the beginning of of our service so that we can be refreshed with the words of the absolution. And in psalm and in song and in scripture readings again and again, we are brought back to Jesus' teachings where we find truth, where we find freedom. On this day, we celebrate that freedom that is ours, a freedom that is based on truth that truly matters, that truly makes a difference, a freedom that comes from the words of Jesus himself, and a freedom on which we base our hope of eternal life and our joy for this life until we get to experience eternal life, the freedom that Jesus promises to us through those beloved, simple, succinct words. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Dear friends, let me leave you with this confidence. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen.